All right. As you open your Bible to James chapter 5, the last two verses, uh, I want to mention two quick things before I begin. We have a short passage this morning. I have seven and a half pages of notes. I normally get up here with about 11. So don't start packing yet. Uh, but it, it, it's not going to, we're going to cover these last two verses. Uh, first thing is, I just want to mention, yeah, if, you have, if you have lost um, the, 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 uh, the right place on the calendar of reading through the Bible together, uh, I, I still, I want to invite you to come next Sunday night. Um, you know, we're still going to kind of have an overview of where we are. I think we're covering uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So, um, don't, don't feel ashamed. We're not going to like ask you, I'm not going to ask you where you are in your reading, uh, but I would love to ask you to consider still joining us, even if you haven't kept up. Uh, join us, gather us from, from 5 till about 6.30 next week. So I just want to make sure you, you understand that, and I extend that invitation. Uh, the other thing I would like to do really quick is just introduce you to a couple of new friends. Um, so Bethany and Exford Davy, they're sitting right here, they're waving. Um, so these are, so I, um, Erica and I, our family supported the Burgesses. Many of you guys remember the Burgesses uh, in Papua New Guinea, New Guinea, New Guinea uh, for years. And then when they came off the field, um, Wycliffe just sort of started sending my money somewhere else. And I got this sweet note from, from Bethany, uh, thankful. And I said to Erica, I, I think we're supporting this new couple now rather than that couple. I think the Lord just kind of uh, did it for us. And so I didn't know them at all. Uh, I've had the opportunity to talk to them a couple of times and they were on their way uh, from training in Wycliffe down in Florida back up uh, to home in Pennsylvania. Is that right? Um, so I'm just getting to know them a little bit and I would just invite you if you uh, would like to get to know them uh, after the service. We're actually going to go to lunch with them afterwards if you want to join us. And if you happen to have a little, uh, they're raising money to be able to go. And perhaps if, if you've cleared out a little money lately that you could commit to give month, monthly, you might even consider supporting the Davies. So they're here. I would love for you to, to meet them while they're here. And I thought I would just introduce them to you. All right, let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are indeed prone to wander and you are a God who seeks after wandering souls. God, we are so thankful for your grace. We are so thankful that you hold on to us. And uh, even as, as we finish this book, we've learned so many things from this book. I know we've, we've been convicted by so many things in this book. We've been uh, challenged by so many things in this, this book of James. Father, I pray that you would help us to finish well this morning, and I pray that you would help us to heed this exhortation to seek after our wandering brothers and sisters, and also, Father, to, uh, to, to do the things that we need to do so that we can, as best we can, keep from wandering away from the, state, the straight and narrow path. So bless these words that I have to say. Father, as always, I ask that you would um, help me to, to not say things that you don't want me to say and to say things that you want me to say so that these can be your words and not mine. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so there are like five, somewhere between five and ten movies that if they are ever on, I always watch them. Uh, there's a couple of movies that I, if they, they seem like they're always on airplanes, I always watch them on airplanes. I can't not watch them. I love them so much. Erica thinks it's weird. 
Uh, I don't read novels over and over again, but I can watch certain movies over and over again. And what I love about a movie, what I'm drawn to in a movie, is a movie that ends well. I like a movie that ends well. I am not into this like postmodern, you know, unresolved ending thing. Like I want everything to be wrapped up. My favorite kinds of movies are those movies where like there's scenes at the end with like pictures of the characters saying like what happened to them like for the rest of their lives. Like I want I want to go all the way. If I've invested time in a novel or a movie, I want to go all the way uh, with those characters. Right? Okay. So James does not have a good ending right? It, it does not wrap things up like you might would want uh, to have things wrapped up. Okay, so the Bible actually has a great ending, right? And I don't, if you're just reading it for the first time, I don't need, mean to spoil it for you, but Jesus comes back and redeems everything, all right? That's what happens. The wicked are defeated. Satan gets what he deserves. God comes to live with men. Revelation 21, uh, let me read it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven for, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That is a great ending, right? Amen? Yeah. Uh, but James, out of the uh, 66 books in the Bible, he's, he's getting close to the end, uh, but he's certainly not at the end yet, and so there's a lot of story to be completed when James is done. So, there is no benediction, there is no doxology, there is no grace and peace be with you from James. There's not even a amen. James writes, chapter 5, verses 19, 19 and 20, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. All right, so to me, this ending sounds about right because James knows that we'll, we'll have it made once Jesus returns, but until then, he wants us to know how we should live together before God, and that's what we've been talking about in this last section. I won't go over it again. I've preached about it for two weeks. We've seen it as we've closed the book. G James expects that we will live together he does not want us to live isolated from one another, independent from other Christians. My theory is that James ends his letter so abruptly because he knows that we're still in the struggle. And it kind of goes back to the beginning of the Bible where Cain asks God, am I my brother's keeper? And I think James would say, yes, yes, you are. And, and I think he is speaking here to the household of faith, which carries with it two very clear implications. It is possible, it is even expected, that some of us will wander. Our brothers and sisters, perhaps even ourselves, will wander. And then it is the responsibility of the faithful to do everything they can to bring them back. Okay, so this passage is abrupt, but it's not difficult to understand. It's a short passage. Uh, I could have included it last week, but I felt like it was worth just a little extra time this morning. So I have a short three-point outline if you're into such things, the runaway, the rescue, and the result. 
So we'll dig right in. Two short verses. Number one, the runaway. James says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. Okay, so let's just be honest. I think you know this. Nobody wanders toward Jesus, right? We don't wander. We wander away from Jesus. We don't wander towards holiness. And so I specifically asked Tyler to sing that hymn this morning, Come Thou Fount, because it contains the line, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And if you are a Christian in here today, I suspect that you know what it feels like to be prone to wander. Uh, Some of you have heard of the theologian D.A. Carson. He says this, people do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, or delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise, and we call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience, and we call it freedom. We drift toward superstition, and we call it faith. We slouch toward prayerlessness, and we tell ourselves we are escaping legalism. We slide toward godlessness and feel liberated. And deep in your heart, I trust that all of you know this is true. We convince ourselves that we are the courageous ones as we wander away from holiness and obedience. And we are the ones who are willing to live free. We are the ones who aren't like the sheep who stay back in the herd. And the problem with that thinking is that the Bible clearly teaches us that there is safety in the herd. I have been noticing lately the prevalence, and maybe this is my own dullness, but the amount of times that Jesus says things like, watch and be on the alert and stay on guard. In the Garden of Eden, as he's about to go to the cross, he tells the disciples, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In Luke 21, he says, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of God. There's that great parable of the virgins, of the virgins who are, uh, they're, 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 they're not careful to be ready, and the bridegroom comes, and so half of them are ready, and half of them have to run into the city and get what they need as the bridegroom comes, and he goes through, and the, the virgins who are prepared get to go into the wedding ceremony, and the others are left out. And so what we have in the New Testament is this repeated call for us to guard against being dull. The devil is on the prowl, seeking whom he may devour. We're exhorted to finish well. And remember that we really will stand before Jesus and give an account for our lives. And so we need these exhortations because we are all susceptible to what one pastor I read called the decay of the soul in divine things. We are in constant danger of wanderings. And I would say it often starts with just a drift away from the church. Just someone who's not around for three, four, five, six weeks at a time. Very often our devotion to prayer and the Word of God becomes minimal, if at all. There starts to be a change in the company that we keep. And eventually our attitudes begin to change and our words begin to change. Our behavior begins to change. And to all of these examples, the wanderer's heart cries, legalist, Pharisee, because the heart feels that sense of freedom. We feel like we're being brave. Everyone else is a sheep. And I hope that all of us recognize these 
temptations, because I know that all of us know the feeling of drifting for a time. I, I was the guy who threw away CDs like three different times. Like I was always being convicted about the music that I would listen to, and I would throw away a bunch of CDs, and then I would get another one of those BMI or Columbia House things where you can get like 30 CDs for a penny, and I would get them all back again, and then I would throw them all away again. This went, this went on like three times in my life. Because I was aware, I was becoming, even as a young person, I was aware that there were certain things I could listen to that I really wanted to listen to, but it caused me to drift. So now, the nature of my work doesn't really allow for me to miss church very often. And if I stopped reading my Bible and praying, you guys should fire me. But that doesn't mean that there are other ways that I drift, a a, a certain podcast that I can listen to but shouldn't because it's not good for my heart. A a thought of anger or lust or greed or covetousness or discontent that I choose to dwell on in my heart and I I start to drift. And the one thing I'm learning too as I get older is that the physical is very connected to the spiritual and laziness in one area really becomes a problem in other areas and it's all very interconnected. And, And if this all seems overwhelming to you, I really think it should be. Because all these warnings should lead us to be on guard and to be vigilant and to know that we are constantly under attack. It's interesting that Paul says, don't give the devil a foothold, right? And I really think, I think all he needs is just a little place where he can put that pinky toe and he's going to start climbing in. So we have to be aware. And so hopefully we all know that in this life it's a battle against sin. We can't let down our guard. And I do think this is sort of normal Christian life. However, James speaks of those then who have actually wandered away from the truth. And if you wander long enough, you will eventually get pretty far off the path. All right, so so James is speaking of those here who have wandered and are in danger of spiritual disaster. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 2 says, therefore we must pay closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a transgression? Not a transgression, salvation. Hold on. Salvation. How great a salvation, not how great a transgression. One of my children would have mentioned that later if I hadn't corrected that. So great a salvation. All right, so anyway, we've been in the book of James. We've been talking about two sources of wisdom. There is the wisdom from above. There is the wisdom that comes from the world. The wisdom from above is the truth, and we dare not neglect it. Be very aware when someone starts to speak of departing from a, an important doctrine in the Christian life. In my experience, when people start to speak of denying an, an important part of the truth, they've already been thinking about it for a while. And when you hear a brother or a sister start to question a very important doctrine of the faith, you can be sure that they are in danger. And I, I have seen many instances of someone who starts to question or, or maybe take a position in Bible doctrine, especially those related to 
uh, serious sin to grace that just uh, covers all sin, something, some kind of like there's more freedom in sin than we've ever seen that there was or I'm seeing that there is, and that leads so often to unfaithfulness in marriage or, or to something that's going on that it's like, oh, oh, I, I see why they were wandering from the truth. Brothers and sisters, legalism is a terrible sin. I, I believe it is a terrible sin. But I haven't met a ton of true legalists in, in my experience as a pastor. But I have met a lot of people who embrace license. I had a, a professor of mine in, 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 at, the, at, at seminary who used to say, you know, we, we sometimes, you know, you might have heard it say before, you know, between legalism and licentiousness, you just want to find that sweet spot between legalism and licentiousness. And he said, there's no sweet spot between two heresies right? We want, to find, we want to find the biblical way. And so I do know a lot of people who have embraced licentiousness and it has led to disaster. Be very aware of anybody who starts to talk about their freedom to sin. Paul anticipated this question in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died still live in it? And the reality is we are all prone to to wander. We are not as strong as we think we are. And in my own personal experience, when I think I feel strong, I'm usually in danger. I've talked to a lot of people during this study of James. I, I've heard this several times where people have said, I, Pastor, I really feel like you've been talking, you were talking right at me on, on Sunday. And, and I think that's generally like where this, the Holy Spirit works through the Scripture. But I think James feels especially like that. We feel especially like James is talking right to us because he's writing about things that are so practical and things that we experience every day. And I think this is so relevant that we need to be on guard against drifting from the truth. And we need to watch out for our brothers and sisters because there will be some among us who drift. And so here's what we do. So that's the runaway. Here's the rescue. James says, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering. So the goal is that we would help that sinner turn around. It's, it's a word that means turn around. Jesus uses the same word with Peter in Luke 22. So Jesus predicts that Peter is going to deny him three times. And then he says, Peter, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter, you are going to turn around, and then from what you've learned about that, you need to come and strengthen your brothers out of that experience. And so James is encouraging us to seek the wanderer and try to get them to turn around and bring them back. And, and just as, you know, someone doesn't just wander towards Jesus, you know, as the rescuers, the, the people who are wandering aren't going to just wander around and find us. Many times we're going to have to go to them and help them and pray for them. Okay, so the enemy is going to give you a lot of reasons not to do this, right? So, so just that thought, you know, I think it's wrong for me to intrude in a, a sinning believer's life like that. So, so that thought. Well, the problem is a wandering Christian is rarely going to invite you into his life to help him come back. Very, very rarely is somebody who's wandering going to come to you and say, hey, I've been wandering. Can you help me get back? Like, that doesn't really happen. In fact, usually wanderers are going to be inviting people into their life who are going to affirm their wandering. 
But it's really hard to find anywhere in the Bible, in the New Testament, including James, where, where a New Testament author says, just, just let them go. In fact, we find repeated exhortations to go after them. So here's the biggest one today, and this is probably, uh, it, it's not loving to confront somebody about their sin. And this is huge. And this is really hard because we live in a society that has come to associate their sin with their identity. So this is really hard. And, and it's gone so far and people are so identified with their sin that the, the freedom to sin has become weirdly existential. So as to call somebody back from their sin is now said to be denying their existence. You know, for you to call me out of this sin, you are denying that I exist because my existence is so tied to this sin. And so, as a result, it's even more loving than it has been in the past to warn somebody about their sin. I did not live in Los Angeles during the Northridge earthquake. Erica did. I've heard stories. But I drove on the 14 freeway every day between the San Fernando Valley and Santa Clarita. Where I lived was in Santa Clarita where I went to work was in the San Fernando Valley. And it is called, the 14 freeway is called the Clarence Wayne Dean Memorial Interchange. Because Clarence Wayne Dean was the policeman, the motorcycle cop, who was driving on the, the 14 freeway, which is an overpass through a mountain pass. And when the earthquake came, the freeway fell down at a point, and he drove off of the freeway, and he died. So the 14 freeway is called the, the Clarence Wayne Dean Memorial Interchange. I think we have to see warning our brothers. So, so the response to like, is it loving to call somebody out in their sin? Like you have to see yourself almost like somebody who has come to the edge where the freeway is gone and, and you've gone a little ways back and you're trying to say, you've got to stop. You've got to stop. There's danger. Like, 100 feet ahead, 200 feet ahead, you've got to stop or, or you're going to die or you're going to be seriously hurt. And, and how would it not be loving to tell somebody that? Or, or we could say it the other way. How is it loving to say, you know, I know where the edge is. I, I've seen what's down there, but, you know, it's kind of up to them. It's kind of their choice. If, if they want to identify with those who drive off freeways, that have broken down, I, I would not want to, 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 to harm their identity. Which really leads to the point that it is our business. The, the third objection would say it's none of your business. According to James, it is. By the way, I think this is one of the reasons why it's so important for us to join a church. Because by joining a church, we're saying, this is my church family. And I'm certainly not saying that I would never confront a brother who doesn't belong to my church. But there's something about joining a church that says, we are together, and it's our way of saying, I expect you guys to help me stay on the path. And I expect you guys, if you see me wandering, to come after me. And I think that this is part of the work that we're supposed to be doing together. Galatians 6.1 says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And Paul says in Ephesians 4.15, he says, Speak the truth in love. A wandering Christian brother or sister is no excuse to beat them over the head with a Bible. We should always pray for wisdom. We should pray that we should speak 
with grace and humility. We should pray, we should pray, we should pray, we should pray. Probably the most important thing that you need to remember as you go to a brother, as you go to a wandering brother and sister, is that they don't need you. They need Jesus, right? It's not you who's going to ultimately do the work of changing their heart and bringing them back. It's Jesus. You're the conduit. And some will walk away. I, I, I share the story of the rich young ruler all the time because I think it's, it's, paradigm, paradigm, para, it's a paradigm of how we should react, how Jesus re- interacted with, with sinners, the rich young ruler. You know, what do I need to do to be saved? Um, you know, keep the law. You need to, you know, don't steal, don't murder. Okay, good, I've done all of those things. But wait, there's one more thing you haven't done. You need to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And in Mark, only in Mark, it says Jesus loved him. And he said, one thing more do you need? And then it says, he walked away sad. And Jesus didn't go tearing after him. And, and, and sometimes, as we try to bring the truth to people, they're going to walk away. And they're going to be sad. Or they're going to be angry. And then we pray. And we pray. And we pray. And some will come back. And, and praise God, I've, I've seen wanderers come back. And so that leads to the result, number three, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. What does it mean to save a sinner from death? Okay, now as you may have noticed, I have located this very much within the body of Christ, okay? uh, James says at the beginning, he says, brothers, I think we're, we're back. He said that 15 times in the letter, we're back in a family relationship. I think when he says brothers, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to Christians who are in a group of people where there may be wanderers, okay? So some people preach this as an evangelistic passage, I mean, I think it is certainly evangelistic, but I think he's speaking specifically within the church. So one possibility here is that James could be saying it can save them from literal death. Listen to 1 John 5, 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death, but there is a sin that leads to death. There, there seems to be sometimes in, in 1 John and a couple other places in the New Testament, I think the New Testament speaks of there would be a place where a believer would, would be in sin to the, point, to the point where God would say, okay, that's it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you home. Rather than continue to let you sin, I'm going to end this now and I'm going to bring you home. I think that's a possibility here. James is saying you would literally save that sinner from death. I think it could also mean that it saves that person from a death-like existence because there is no one more miserable than a Christian who is caught in sin. Why? Because when you are willfully sinning, you're never going to feel secure in Christ. You're never going to feel secure in your faith. And if you have tasted of the peace of the Lord, I believe it feels miserable when you lose it. I do believe in the doctrine of the preservation of the saints. I do believe the true believers will not be lost to sin, but I also believe in a room like this, there are wheat and tares, and they look the same. They grow up side by side. It is not for us to try to figure out who's the wheat and who is the tares, who are the true Christians and who are the fakers. That's not what we're doing. So I think it could also be that saving a sinner from death could mean that someone who was a tare a weed among the wheat who wandered from the faith and came back was truly saved from destruction. And then there's reconciliation. 
The bringing back of the sinner results in love covering a multitude of sins in relation to God. Psalm 130 says, O Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who would stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. God freely pardons. I, I don't find anywhere in the scripture where it says that when we come back to God in repentance and confession, that we have to come up with some kind of itemized list of every time we have offended him. That would be impossible, and it would be discouraging, and it would be time-consuming. It's not that we minimize our sin, but it seems to me that when sinners come to their Heavenly Father and say, forgive me, Lord, I have sinned, they're forgiven. And I, and I do believe that, that we serve a God for whom love covers a multitude of sin. Yes, Jesus died for every single sin, and yes, we should not take our sin lightly, but the wanderer should never think, I've done so much wrong. How could I ever come back? The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. So love covers a multitude of sins in relation to God, and love covers a multitude of sins in relation to one another. As a body of believers, we need to be a place where we are quick to welcome the wanderer back. And sometimes a wanderer can cause a lot of trouble on the way off the path. But when they return, love covers a multitude of sins. We don't need them to go over all the, the wrongs that they've done. We say, welcome back. I do think, by the way, that one of the terrible things about this cancel culture that we live in is that there's no forgiveness. When somebody sins against the world system, there's no way to atone for it. They're simply cast out, rejected. In the body of Christ, love covers a multitude of sins. In the church, we don't hold grudges. We don't expect an itemized list of everything you've ever done against us. When someone says, please forgive me, we grant it, right? Seventy times seven. Okay, so concluding. Some of you have dealt with wanderers. Maybe you have wanderers in your own household. Some of you have been wanderers. Most likely, all of us will deal with a wanderer eventually. And I would just encourage you, speak the truth in love, but have courage. Don't give in to the world system that says it's not loving or it's none of your business or you should just leave them alone. Because if they're a part of our family, we, we want to go back and try to bring them back to the path. I would say there's a line that runs throughout this entire letter that could be related to bringing a wanderer back. Certainly there are trials associated with those who wander, temptations to wander among those who just hear the word and are doers of the word. The sin of partiality might lead us to say, well, it's probably better that that wanderer left because they were more trouble than they were worth anyway. The wanderer is no doubt missing the wisdom from above. And be warned, friendship with the world is hostility toward God. I've said many times since we started Hope, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. And when we're in a, alone, when we're alone, when we're isolated, we do the things that feel right to us. We are all prone to wander. Do you feel it? There's a gravity of the world that exists all around us, and it's pulling us in. And I hope you will see from these last three weeks in James, the Christian life is meant to be lived together. There is safety in the community. 
as we pray for one another, as we go to the elders for help, as we confess our sins to one another, and as we go after the wanderer. James couldn't be clearer as he wraps up this book. Teenagers, I just want to say, hear this encouragement from me. As you think about going to college one day, if, if you plan to leave, just file this away. Plan on finding a good church. I, I would even say, if you're trying to find a college and you're attracted to a college, check around and find out, is there a good church in the area? And if there's not, find another one. Brothers and sisters, I mean, if, if you have a great opportunity to transfer your job, praise God, and make more money, and, and have more things that you can do, check around before you say yes. Is there a good church there? Is there a place where you are going to hear the word of God and be prayed for and have brothers and sisters who are going to help you if you wander from the truth? And if there's not, you might need to say, I don't know if that's best for me and my family. And then there may be times in your life when for some reason you're somewhere and it's, it's hard to have fellowship. And, and obviously you pray and, and you seek out the people that you can find closest to you who, who love Jesus and, and who, who love the Lord and will, will, be, will hold you accountable. So all that to say, stay in the church. Don't drift. Stay with people who are going to tell you what is true and help you stay on the path. And it's not just elders and pastors. It's all of us, as we've seen from these, uh, these last few verses. Okay, uh, we are going to wrap up this morning. Let me say this. We are going to do something right now in taking the Lord's Supper together as we do every week. We are going to do something that is very much something that we do together that should remind us both of the sacrifice that have been paid for our sins and of our need for one another. Jesus, who died for us as we take this together, welcomes us to partake in his body and his blood, and it's something that we do together, and it's something that reminds us of our need for him, and it's something that should remind us of our need for each other. So if you're going to hand out the bread and the cup, come on up here this morning. Uh, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are very welcome to partake with us. And uh, we're going to, the, 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 the team here is going to hand out the, the bread and the cup. Hang on to that. Uh, and then I'll come up and read a passage and we will partake together.